Hello, TTB community. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Each week, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and some of our very own personal travel experiences. With me, as always, is the weedling, Robert Demena. Weedling? What does weedling mean? Yeah, I pulled, I pulled deep for this one. So using flattery or coaxing in order to persuade someone to do something or give one something. It sounds bad. And it does I think sound it bad. It is. It sounds like I am like manipulating people or something yeah but the way uh, i see i mean maybe it's not the right context but i think you're good at talking to people like you have a good way of explaining the things that you want okay all right sure and convincing sure. other people that they should give it to you <laughs> and how it benefits them to give it to you. <laughs> okay all right so today we spoke with pashmina she is a travel and environmental writer based in malaysia where she owns an adventure cycling hiking and travel blog which helps inspire people to take up adventures that they thought they could never be a part of so today we discussed her time cycling in kazakhstan taiwan and over and her overland trip from iran to europe she really likes to focus on stories of people who push their limits and her world philosophy is one that I personally aspire to adopt. Before we get into the show, the travel tip of the week is to read a history book about the place you are visiting. Now, I, I, I want to be, I guess, so history book or history videos, I really enjoyed. Before my trip to Rome, I spent a lot of time watching some videos about certain aspects, the Pantheon and different areas of the city. In addition to, I actually read a history book on Rome. And then when I got there, it enhanced my trip significantly. So definitely recommend doing that. Uh, lastly, before we get into the episode, please consider some of the cool things that we offer. How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page. And once you download it, you have it forever and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now, if you do decide to purchase this, we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better. To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner, we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step -step process to create the ultimate itinerary, including number one, navigation, number two, booking airfare, number three, blogs, research, and reviews, number four, itinerary building, and number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to be plan efficient trips now and forever, all the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first class seat for your next adventure. Yeah. And now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much, or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or visit our service pages on our website, and we can meet over Zoom to discuss the details of your trip. You want to contribute to the podcast? If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel roundtable discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com for the monthly Travel Bites episode. 
Support us by wearing us. Go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the Traveler's Blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or a travel mug. Whether you purchase a product from us or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests, know that we greatly value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Pashmina, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Bob and Elliot. I'm honored to be here. Um, so yeah, really excited to see what you guys got. <laughs> Us too. We've done, we've done quite a bit of research on you and some of your travels. Uh, you have a, a blog, well, a website that's called The Gone Goat, and I really want to ask how you got that name at a later time. But for now, uh, let's learn a little bit about your past and how you became this adventure traveler. Okay, um, yeah. So to so to sort of start, um, my name is Pashmina, and uh, like before this, I'm I'm in my early thirties. Uh, when I started, I think I started hiking and cycling and learning how to swim all at one go when I was I think about twenty five. A little bit of a late bloomer, uh, also because I'm I come from an Asian country, Malaysia, and uh, I think. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Asian representation in the outdoors, but during like five years or six years ago, no one really talked about that. Uh, I think if you were to set examples for, you know, getting inspired about trips, you needed to look inwards. It's not like you you could have an open talk about it. So I think I was, I was just really tired of being uh, this, the same girl uh, that usually would spend all her time in an air-conditioned mall. <laughs> Uh, to, to, to be honest, like in, in Malaysia, like I think it tends to be like everyone's favorite pastime. We just spend a lot of time in the shopping mall because it's so hot <laughs> <laughs> that nobody really goes hiking. And it's unless you have like group of friends or like, you know, people who would sort of initiate that kind of discussion to to live an adventure lifestyle. It You need that kind of push. And if nobody's doing it, you're not going to be doing it. So I think it was like um, like a quarter life crisis when I realized that I've just been working. I've been, I think I was working pretty young. Like I started working when I was like 16, 17 oh, years wow. old. Yeah, like it was, it was really tough because I was uh, working to save up money for my education. And then I was helping support my family and those kind of things, which, which was really, really hard to even think about, you know, enjoying the outdoors or those kind of things. So yeah, I think it was like at 25, after working for a bit in a corporate life as a PR consultant, that's when I realized that I, I don't know how to swim. I don't know how to cycle. I don't know anything. And you know, sometimes when you read these stories and books authored by, I mean, they tend to be um, males uh, who have like have some kind of like decent credentials. <laughs> I don't know, they have authored like, I don't know, uh, National Geographic uh, magazines, or they have some kind of like um, mountaineering courses that they have done, but um, I didn't know where to start. So I started with hiking and then I went to some like cycling activity and I got hooked and uh, I think I also remember watching that movie Wal Walter Mitty yeah I love that movie yeah. I love that yeah. movie yeah 
it was the exact same situation. Like, you know, I used to be daydreaming about all these adventures. And I mean, I didn't have any of those skills, but these kind of movies sort of like um, made me think that, you know, that there's got to be more to life, right? So yeah, I just quit my job. And at that time, Asia, which is like the uh, local Asian airlines over here in Malaysia, where they had really cheap tickets, I think, to any country. So I went, I only had like, maybe 2000 US dollars in my bank account. <laughs> and um, uh, I quit my job and I went to the Himalayas for three months, like to basically back back around the uh, Himalayan mountains as That's well. That's a big first step. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah, it, it, it was a big uh, first step. Also, because I really like the mountains and, you know, with 2000 US dollars, if you're going to go to Europe, you're going to like spend all your money and come back like as a partner. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I needed to have some like money left for me to use to go into my next step. So, I mean, India was perfect. You have some of the highest mountains. You have like, I think there was Nanda Devi and you also have like a 7,000 or 8,000 mountain. Um, but I mean, I didn't do anything crazy like that. I, I just wanted to be in the shadow of these Himalayas and just meet all these interesting people. So, so yeah, that's that's how I basically uh, started. And then from then on, I just uh, started documenting about it on my blog. I didn't take it seriously at all because it was just for fun. And I slowly like amassed like an audience because uh, after that, I think I came back and I worked a little bit more and then went for another trip, which was overland from Iran to Europe. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So I, I want to take a pause and Hashmina, like this story that you have, the Walter Mitty story or whatever it yeah. is, where yeah. people are, they feel stuck and then they just daydream and they fantasize about these experiences. Yeah. It's so relatable to so many people. And I think that's why your blog grew. I mean, how many people in the world feel as though they're chained down to a job or a position or they're tied down financially, whether it's a mortgage or yeah, whatever it yeah. may be. And all they really want to do is go out and experience something like raw and like go out to the Himalayas. That's It's so attractive. And so many people, they never do it. Uh, most people don't do it. Um, and even myself, like I, I would, I still fantasize about being able to do more, uh, but you did it. You did it. You took the leap. Well, and, and to yeah. add to that, I think it's I think it's very impressive that you did that without having much representation of Asian women yeah. in the adventure field. Because we've talked about yeah. inclusivity and diversity a lot in travel, in the travel world and adventure world. And you're right. I mean, we talked about this a little bit before the show, but a lot of our guests on our podcast that are adventurers are usually white males either from the US, Australia, the UK. And we've had a few like um, Joyce Azam that did the seven summits that is Lebanese. Yeah. And so I think it's I think it's awesome that you're setting this example and trying to I don't know if it's intentional trying to inspire other women or uh, Asians to get into this adventure world. Um. Actually, no, I didn't do it to like inspire or be uh, some someone to try and break uh, some kind of record. Or I, I mean, it's just a natural byproduct automatically. Yeah. Sometimes when people are sharing on Instagram, right? Like everyone wants to leave and uh, quit their job and do something. But I, I guess the, the best thing is about now that, you know, you don't have to quit your job to do it because everyone can work remotely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so like, I think, um, which is why I think I'll go back to your question later when you asked me, like, you know, if solo travel is a big thing, like, I don't think it's a big thing anymore because everyone's doing it. It is a big thing only uh, if you're doing something that, you know, that challenges your perception uh, about the world or, or things that you, you, you're so comfortable doing or some kind of stereotype that you have always grew up with. And I think that is the, is the more challenging part, right? Not simply visiting countries and like uh, uh, checklisting them yes. <laughs> because I've, I've achieved this bucket list. But I think for me, um, the part where it becomes challenging is like the places that you go to where maybe they are male dominated, like maybe Pakistan or India, like how do you sort of navigate those kind of countries? Yeah, well, you walked through Iran to get to Europe and Iran is... is... Oh, I didn't walk through, but yeah, I mean, I use oh, a motorized that... vehicle. I just okay. travel all the land uh, because, I mean, they're all neighboring countries. But the thing is, there was no plan to do it. It was just like on a whim when I didn't want to book a ticket to go to Europe directly, which is, which is, which is a bit expensive thinking about it. So I wanted to find a different cheap route where I immerse myself in new cultures and new countries like the Caucasus, which I had no idea about. Yeah. <laughs> like in school, nobody talks about like, uh, I don't know, like about Central Asia, right? Nobody mm -hmm. talks about uh, all these different kinds of civilizations, uh, like about countries where we sort of like group them together. Like, you know, um, people say like the stands is, Yep. just the stands but I, I read an interesting article where they said that that you know uh, you can't call <laughs> all these countries stands because um stands ideally means lands like it's almost like calling uh finland scotland oh i want to visit the lands <laughs> yeah, yeah right right yeah. It, well, that... it's sort of insulting to like uh, almost like cultural uh culture erasure for all these individual countries that represent so many different things yeah. Yes. And th there's something fascinating about that pocket of the world. So from a Western perspective, as soon as you get into the the stance, right, play on what you just said, like, but the Iran's and the Pakistan's and that Central Asian area, uh, yeah. it's met with a lot of incorrect um, bias from yeah. Westerners because of the conflict, right? That, that, that's been going on there between the United States, Western nations and that area. So immediately there's that bias that like you can't travel there, you shouldn't travel there. And no one really knows much about the culture on a broad level, you know? Yeah, and so I think the most representation we get is from war films. Yeah. And it's all been filtered that way for yeah. now, for now, for decades now. Uh, so that area of the world from a Western perspective is almost harder to reach and less mm. known than like climbing Everest. It's, and so, yeah. which is nuts. Like you have someone who said, I visited Pakistan and that is almost like, whoa, you did? Are you crazy? More so <laughs> than I summited Mount Everest, which is sort of fascinating. And so you, right. And so you went in yeah. and can we just, let's talk about your Iran trip, um, maybe in a little bit more detail. Yeah, sorry, question. Yeah. No, that, I guess that's, no. So how did, it, how did you uh, get there, I guess? And then what was it like as a woman, like you said, in a male-dominated culture, traveling through by land, there's so many questions regarding safety and logistics and planning. Um, yeah, what was that like? And how did you make it through? And what was your experience with people there? 
Okay. Um, firstly, I mean, there was no planning. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it was mostly about like uh, at that time, the flight ticket was pretty uh, cheap. It was, I think, about a one-way ticket. I bought a one-way ticket uh, because I wanted to see Europe as well. But I thought like, oh, okay, why not I go to Iran? So at least I see all these different cultures, which I probably would not have uh, known about rather than uh, traveling straight to like Budapest, right? But it's so easy. It's so direct. <laughs> so yeah so i think i bought a one-way ticket to iran which was uh only like it, it only costed me like i think about 150 dollars so it, it was wow. it was that, it was that cheap like you know uh travel during those days which was cheap to be honest and did you fly into tehran yeah, so I, I flew into Tehran and um, it was supposed to be a solo trip, but my friend uh, joined me last minute. So he was a, a filmmaker as well. So he joined uh, me on this trip. And uh, yeah, it was pretty strange because before I went for this trip, I, I used couch surfing a lot, mm -hmm. uh, uh, mainly to meet people. And I heard about how uh, big the community is in Iran like uh, with, with the fact that everything is blocked, like you need a VPN for a lot of different things, but couch surfing is huge where, you know, Iranians just want to connect with people uh, from around the world. They just want to open their houses to, to people and just feed them. That's so, so fascinating. I have never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. I have. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, it's, it's a, like you have to, right? Almost, if you see yeah, somebody traveling. Yeah, I think it goes to the culture. So it's called like tarof, um, which is basically uh, something where, you know, they see guests as as people where they should really uh, treat them with respect and they'll just open up their houses to, to them. So that happened to me like the moment we arrived. And the, the thing is like a lot of them, because I could pass as a, as a Persian, a lot of them thought that I was leading a tour group in Iran. <laughs> That's funny. Because I was when I was meeting other people, but it's only when I was like with a backpack and, and I was in the train station and I was lost and I was looking around, uh, you know, you meet this uh, engineering guy who says why you lost and where you're going. And uh, basically he said that he has a class in like 30 minutes, but he said that he's going to uh, follow me to the end of the line to drop me and then come back to his class, meet me after. So you have people like, you know, who are super excited to to meet travelers from different countries. Uh, and for them, it's about opening up their homes, introducing uh, you to their culture. So I spent about three weeks in Iran. And um, before that, uh, the only planning that I did was basically connect with people who are in different parts of, of Tehran and different cities, which I could see like a glimpse of their lives. So I think I uh, there was one guy who was in, working in the Silicon Valley of Iran, <laughs> they call it that. And um, I think it was like about uh, 30 kilometers or 100 kilometers away from Tehran. And uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting because um, he had like, uh, he was an IT guy and he had like a 12-hour shift, but he made sure that his uh, duties were sort of assigned to his other friend uh, to make sure that we were well taken care of. And we went and uh, hiked some random mountains and he showed us his village life, uh, although it's supposedly called the Silicon Valley, Valley of Iran. But it's <laughs> like in this, in this mountains, which was sort of like, uh, I wouldn't say it's near Mount Damawan, but it was like in the, in the rural side of, of Tehran. 
uh, yeah, but I think beyond that, it was also pretty interesting. Like, you know, when I asked them, like, um, you have like murals where it basically writes like down with the USA. So when, when you questioned, <laughs> when you questioned them and like, you know, oh, how are they towards Americans? And then they said they have no issues with Americans. It's only their, their country and uh, their political regime that basically makes them enemies with the U.S., but they, but they love Americans. That's so and, interesting. Yeah we've, yeah, we've mentioned that before. I think, Bob, you've talked about that many times, about how the people are not necessarily the representation of the government. No, almost never. <clears throat> yeah. You know, yeah, it's, and, and you have to always remember that the media's job is to make you watch more media. <laughs> and by doing that, it needs to stroke on these negative emotions. Um, and, and because we've talked to so many travelers now who have been to countries where most Americans wouldn't, wouldn't consider because they think that they would be hated. Uh, and ultimately, that's never the case. Most people don't feel that way. And so that's really an interesting, like that you could see this mural that sort of it reiterates down with, yeah, yeah. down with the USA. And then most people would never actually, they actually don't think that way at all. And yeah, it's, that's interesting. So, so how much time did you spend in Iran? I was there for three weeks. Uh, okay. So I traveled to all the major cities. We went to Shiraz. Uh, I think it was pretty interesting where I also went to Tabriz, uh, which is like the, I think the most, uh, um, it was at the border between Armenia. So it was basically on my way there. But I think when you go to Iran, like it's so hard to, to sort of be, um, interested in seeing all these sites like it's always overpowered by all these people that you meet right um they 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 just want to have a conversation with you and it it's so interesting that you know even if you're uh, standing out and waiting um at a at a sweet shop or like a coffee shop um there's this lady like she just handed me a bag of sweets for for no reason <laughs> um you know and when when my friend wanted to send a postcard back home and he met this guy who owns like uh, a photocopy shop or basically a photo shop and he said that you know he would do it for free and then after that it it went on with like uh tea requests and like tea sessions with with the locals and just just like there's no way you can even plan a trip there because it changes every single day depending on who you meet and where you're going so yeah, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, from for you personally, this sounded like the exact type of trip you wanted, right? To just learn on a whim and experience the people in this authentic way and not have this itinerary, uh, you know, it, like a European style where you're it's all perfect and planned and the tourist road is paved. This was, is, is this what you wanted? Did this fulfill your desire, like, you know, what you were looking for? Yes, it, it was. And it was also the first time that I hitchhiked in a country in Iran because I, I heard how great they are with hitchhiking and like people would just stop for you. So, I mean, I just wanted to put it to the test. So, yeah, we, we wanted to go from, I think, uh, to the border town of Iran. And the moment I started hitchhiking, there was like 10 cars that, that stopped. And they didn't stop because I was a female. I, I mean, I, I had my male companion with me, but I think it was pretty interesting the kind of people that we met as well there was like two turkish brothers they so they couldn't speak the language and 
uh, the funny part is <laughs> I was using Google Translate and I wanted to go to my other couch surface home. And uh, he said he knew the address, but he used like a certain Persian slang that Google translated it differently. It actually said, I know you are blood. Oh, no. I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, did you, how did you iron that out? How did you, that get, you know, smooth out? Yeah I, yeah. I told him like, what do you mean by, I know you are blood. Like, are you going to kill us? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, you shouldn't be like telling that to your, to, I mean, your potential killer. You should honestly just get out of the cab, but I'm mean, sorry, get out of the car. But yeah, but I mean, the thing is, these sort of uh, misconceptions play on your head because of sometimes on the country that you're in, but it didn't turn out that way. Like, they were super nice. They actually dropped um, me and my friend at the couch, at the next couch surfing um, host that we had to stay in. So you can see, like, all these kind of, like, um, scenarios that play in your head only because it's how the media portrays certain countries, right? Yeah. Like you have like some kind of subconscious bias. And sometimes when you want to erase it, it just plays out on your head. And it takes a lot of time to sort of like go over that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're, we're so conditioned to think that violence is around the corner, you know? Yeah, well, especially, I think this is very true in the United States because there's a few things that you've mentioned about Iran that is vastly different than what we in the United States have grown up being told. And that is one, never hitchhike. I think hitchhiking might be even considered illegal in some states. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then two, couch surfing is not, I wouldn't say it's common, but I think there's a good amount of the population, especially the older population, that's like, you're just going to stay at someone's house and sleep on their couch and you don't even know them. How is that safe? And then three, just like, the idea of wanting to talk to people, I think people in the United States, there's a few aspects that just wouldn't happen. People are so planned. Their life is so busy that there's just no time to set aside to talk to a stranger and get to know someone in great detail or even invite them into your home to, to share your home and give them lodging and food and learn about why they're traveling. It just is unheard of. I, th I think it has to do with, this is just me, like this is my own brainstorming, but I think it has to do with, like in the United States, we don't need to rely on the community as much anymore. Uh, we can sustain ourselves in our own little bubbles really we're well. We're almost told to. We're, yeah, we're and, encouraged and, to just be, be, work by yourself and work hard for yourself. And, and we're not as connected with our neighbors. And so you go around the world and you talk to people around the world with these... In, and there's still that community foundation where everybody sort of plays a role in helping one another on a much more deeper level than in the United States. We're disconnected from our communities, I think, in the United States compared to uh, other countries, I guess. That's, and that's what you see. So it's, it's harder for an American to be as willing to just hang out with a stranger and, and talk with a stranger and work with a stranger because of that. And you have other countries where it's just normal because you're you're still relying on the community and and yeah i don't know really interesting yeah, yeah i agree like i think i when i came back uh, i sort of like realized like why is it that i'm open to strangers when you're traveling because <clears throat> i mean 
you have like the sensory overload, right? Everything gets heightened, you're living in the moment and you just want to experience as much. But like sometimes like during COVID, like you take a back seat and you realize that, you know, hey, you should be talking to strangers, but everyone's masked up. It it just changes every single thing altogether. Yeah. Wow. I remember, do you remember Andrew talking about this with like the, the Latin American culture um, and why that community is so much he feels that's so much stronger because they don't have as many material things. They rely, like, it's harder to, it's easy to lose material things and get them back. It's harder to lose non-material things such as honor and family relationships because those you have to build back up. And so you want to keep those intact and you want to, you want to share your community. So trust and, and I guess like comfortability is earned in the community. Yeah. Oh, this is a really interesting topic. I don't know, you know, but you have, and then the mental downfall that you see in the United States with like increases in suicide and increases in, in disconnect from other people, like really takes a toll on people. And there's almost like this, this uh, whole um, way of life where it's like, okay, to be isolated. Like it's almost, it's almost, uh, what is it called? not analyzed like no idolized idolized yes idolized like you almost idolize this idea that you know you're just sitting in and you're watching netflix and you're by yourself and i don't know there's this weird culture around it but it's really horrible for you like we know that human beings need these social experiences to be happy uh there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that's actually the case and so when you go to a country that still relies heavily on this community culture they tend to be happier they tend to have more and they're more fulfilled as people than the western modern nations that fall back on isolationism and netflix and all of the things the material aspect of, of life i don't know it's really interesting yeah it's a yeah, lot it's a lot it's heavy I think, I think it's, it's, it's a lot of, like i think people tend to be a bit more standoffish to like cultures that are completely foreign to them right they mm-hmm. they need to have like maybe a mutual friend back home and say that oh you know i have a guy he's safe he's from different this culture so that means their people wouldn't be too bad but what if you have no point of reference you have no friends uh mm-hmm. you know you're just going empty to to a country where you know you have nobody and you're keeping an open mind so how hard is it, I think, for people to have an open mind? Yeah, and so that's why we've said that travel is the best form yes. of education. And the, and it you never come back a more closed-minded person. We have these things that we've repeated so many times now on the podcast because you have somebody that is willing finally to break free and leave their comfort zone and, and do these things. And what they learn is that people are people and people are great and everybody's nice. And then they, they take that home and they grew as a person. And it's really amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, this it's, I mean, this is an awesome conversation. So I, I want to do I want to learn more about your Iran trip because you spent three weeks there. You learned a lot about the people. And um, the the goal of this was to actually drive overland through uh, Iran to Europe. And so what did you do when you got to Europe? Yeah, so I went to Armenia and then I went to Georgia as well. And uh, I also wanted to like 
so so when you go to all these places as well i do want to ensure that i'm learning something which is different right like cycling at that point of time i didn't know uh i, I mean i did see people cycling but at that point i didn't think that i should bicycle travel that came a little bit later in life but uh, I think at that point I wanted to learn skiing and uh, in, I think in Georgia it was really cheap as well. I initially wanted to do it in Iran, but it was November and too early in the season. So I I think uh, the interesting part is about, is the people that you meet and how things change really fast. <laughs> so after, after ending the Iran trip, uh, I, it was uh, me, uh, my friend, an Australian girl and uh, an Iranian guy and we decided that we will meet in Armenia and we will rent a car there and like uh, basically uh, travel across these um, Soviet land which has like uh, you know um, uh, remnants of the past where you have like these Russian Lada cars so it's a completely different uh, post-Soviet landscape like you you go to Iran where people are so nice and loving and then you know hitchhiking your way through to cross to Armenia and suddenly everything changes because people are people I mean it's people there are relatively poor I think they are focusing more on survival and you have like all these elderly people uh, living back in Armenia in these outskirts and most of their I think uh, daughters and sons, they usually go to like Russia to get a job or, or something like that. So you have like a very different kind of setting. And it's interesting because I, I know nothing about Armenia. I, I knew that I think it was the first Christian nation. So they have like a lot of these Orthodox 13th century churches. And mm -hmm. from what I hear also, they have like these a uh, lot of like, <laughs> this uh, haunting landscape where you have these decaying Lada cars, which I, I think I read somewhere that, you know, it was stolen vehicles, like just left to, to crumble. So it, it, like, it, it was just different, like very different from, from the landscapes that we came in. And I, I think it was a week in Armenia and then I went to its Georgia. And from Georgia, I, I actually uh, flew to its, um, Spain and everything else. So, I mean, it was only 20 euros. So my wow. overland trip was actually until Georgia. And when you're in Georgia, technically you're in Europe, although it's the Caucasus, right? But um, fairly European with, um, I think their culture and way of life as well. So it, it was a different detour that I, I did, but uh, I think what I wanted to highlight was how every country was so different. And this was not something that, you know, I had done prior research with. It was something that I, I just decided on a whim that I, I wanted to travel to Iran and neighboring Iran is Armenia and then there's Georgia because you can't, you can't go to Azerbaijan, I think, if you go to Armenia like this. There's always right. some kind of conflict. I, I think this was a podcast that was covered previously. So I'm not gonna touch those regions, but um, that was my initial trip when I quit my job. When you know, I traveled to to um, uh, India at the beginning, and then I came back, tried to earn some money, and then went from Iran to Europe, and then I came back, and uh, I realized that you know um, all these trips are great, but I wanted to push the arc and like sort of try bicycle traveling. Uh, at the time, I didn't know how to ride a bicycle. So <laughs> that's, that's when I traveled to like places like uh, Kyrgyzstan, uh, and also Kazakhstan. Yeah. Um, yeah. You did 
45 days cycling on the Silk Road. Yeah. So coming back to that, you know, when you when you have a plan, like something so major, like, oh, you want to be one and a half month in, in these uh, in, in this stands or whatever, which is which is not how you should say it. Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, <laughs> um, things don't go to plan. Right. Uh, it's also the way people drive. And um, like I, I did cycle for, I think, maybe half of the period, but more. But. A lot of times, like uh, sometimes you have food poisoning. Sometimes I fell off my bike because of the way they, they drive. They basically chug alcohol for breakfast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> because they come so close to you. And it was really hard to basically uh, travel in these kind of roads. And, you know, and, and that's fine uh, if things don't go according to plan because I decided to change modes and did a bit more of hiking. But I guess I wanted to say, like, you know, for people who, who go for these uh, trips, like, you can be a purist and say that, oh, I'm going to cycle through, you know, this entire landscape. But then you're only stuck to these roads. And while you're stuck to these remote communities, it's okay to change plans and decide that if you want to hike or spend more time with these families that you meet, that's completely fine as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kyrgyzstan and um, uh, Kazakhstan are, I think, like, or Kazakhstan, I should say, and Uzbekistan have a lot of more, like, plateau landscapes, where Kyrgyzstan and Silk Road are very mountainous. So you almost have to stay on the roads. Yeah, you can go off-road, like, which we did, uh, to go, like, further into the mountains, which can be quite crazy. Um, but sometimes the altitude plays games with your mind and, you know, like I, at at one point I saw like a storm coming through and I was so afraid because it's like an uphill climb and there's no shelter. There's nobody there. There's like literally nobody there. Like, are you going to cycle or are you going to keep looking back at the storm and, 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 you know, like shaking up hands and and realizing, (laughs) okay, I'm going to stop here, but no, you, you just have to keep going. Right. Um, yeah, oh, so, so interesting. It, it it was interesting. I think I think what was more interesting was like you know how I tend to romanticize like Silk Road, and actually reading about it, I realized that the Silk Road uh, thing was 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 actually more of a it's more of a it's more like of a of a fairy tale. It was never like if you ask like the average. Uh, uh, Kyrgyz or Kazakhs, right? They, they probably are not going to talk about, oh, yeah, we were once part of the Silk Road. It's like a super highway of sorts. So I think it's it's very important to highlight, like, you know, these books that came out during uh, those days. The Silk Road book, sorry, the Silk Road name was actually coined, I think, by a geologist in 1887, where they said that spices and trade was sort of traded during those times. But now it's called, like, I think, China's like overtaking some parts of it and they're going to call it like the Belt Road Initiative. But before coming to this region, like I was so, um, I think I was so enamored by, you know, like how uh, how people used to live nomadically during those times, right? Why was it called the Silk Road? And uh, after traveling to all these places, like even some parts in India where they call themselves like the Silk Road route as well, you realize that these were actually used as reference points, like in books, but like normal people over there, they don't really talk much about it. 
right like oh, yeah, they give is... reference to the past right yeah yeah the, the silk road was established by the mongol empire i believe right as they took over they established this route for trade from their empire with yeah. europe it was supposed to be a way to connect the spices like and the goods yeah. yeah from asia and and establish trade with europe to increase the finances of the mongol empire yeah. that's that was my understanding of it but yeah it, it's a lot of these terms come yeah. out way after it actually was in use yeah, so right. when they're using it you know they weren't calling it the silk road it was historians who then studied that time period who yeah. coined the term much later and that's it's that's usually how it goes and it is very funny when you think of it like that yeah that they weren't calling the, the silk road of course yeah <laughs> very interesting yeah. <clears throat> one one thing i do want to touch up on now too is uh as you learn to cycle um you really kind of went for it and you <laughs> went to Taiwan and you cycled around Taiwan on $29 yeah. a day. Taiwan is a culture that I'm very interested in learning about. So um, if you don't mind getting into what that experience was like and what you learned about the people there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think uh, at that point I was told you to the whole bicycle travel thing. So I started in Laos and then that's not enough. And then I heard about Taiwan because I mean, giant bikes or, technically from Taiwan, making it really easy to sort of like, you know, uh, hire a bicycle, a, a good, a good uh, road bike and with proper infrastructure and travel from, from one end to the other end with, pop, with proper uh, carriages, train carriages, where you can basically store your bicycle if you want to take it back. So logistically, it was great. But I think it was also pretty interesting, like the landscapes that we did along the East Coast and uh, the places that we visited, like I think Kaohsiung was the starting point that we started in. It took us two weeks. And uh, I think the interesting part was like how we imagined cities to be uh, was completely different. It was very industrial when we, when we arrived in Kaohsiung and uh, it took a little bit of navigation to get out of it, but it's honestly really, really different from the Chinese cities that I've been to. Um, I think it's also because like how Taiwanese have, uh, I'm not sure about the history, uh, but it was something to do with like, they sort of adopted like a little bit of like Japanese way of life. Like the cities are pretty clean. Uh, I think the way they conduct themselves and everything that goes towards what they do is, I mean, they didn't say they were like anti-Chinese or anything, but you can tell like from their sentiments, like, you know, they want to, they want to stand out. They are very proud of their heritage and who they are. So for me, like biking around um, uh, the East Coast city was actually pretty cool because you have like the mountains on the, on the left side, and then you have like the, the ocean on the right side. And it was honestly like a, a dream true for someone who, who has very limited <laughs> biking skills. Um, <laughs> But before going to Taiwan, I think I read about like the typhoons that, that happened, but I didn't prepare for the earthquake that happened to us actually on the end of our trip. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a 6.5 earthquake uh, that hit us. And it was pretty insane because it happened. It was, it was pretty funny because we were in Hualien um, and, we, and the storms were intense, like, I remember biking that day and checking my phone and it says that, you know, earthquake warning, but I'm like, okay, there's, there's nothing shaking here. So I'm just going to continue, but the winds were insane. And then the moment we reached uh, our guest house, 
uh, I think it was at 9 p.m. that the whole building started shaking and it was struck by an earthquake. So we couldn't continue our trip. We still did it for two weeks. We couldn't continue after that. But I guess the point is, is that um, sometimes you can't prepare better wise for, for these kind of for these kind of instances. Like uh, I did as much research as possible to avoid the typhoon season, but I could I still got struck by an earthquake, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so typhoon uh, and earthquake at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty intense. <laughs> but, but that shouldn't stop people from going to Taiwan. I think it's a great, uh, I think a great underrated country. They have like amazing mountains. I think the people uh, are really nice. Uh, I was cycling. I think at one point, people just handed us like mandarin oranges. Um, what we did was called credit card touring. So it's basically not camping where, you know, you are staying in all these uh, Airbnbs or like hotels down, down the road. Um, so, I mean, if you want to go for a cycle travel, you don't really have to rough it out. You can rough it out physically, but you can still have like a good night shower. And it yeah. was relatively cheap as well. Okay. Yeah, I think that's it's interesting. I don't know I don't know much about Taiwan besides that it, you know, is a country southeast of China that it gained independence and it's still I think some Chinese still claim it as part of China. Well, that's it's in this weird area Limbo. where it's yeah. trying, it wants to have its own identity as a country but then China still so China will claim that it is part of China. And but I believe they're on their own currency and they're on is that correct? Do they have their own currency and their own government system? And yeah. so they're they're almost like a city state, but China still considers them part of the country. And so that's what I was curious about because they're almost in this weird gray area where very few countries exist. And so um I didn't I was curious to hear like the 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 culture, like what people there how they feel about their own cultural identity and are they part of China or are they mm. their own entity? I think, yeah, I did meet them. Like they said, they're, they're okay. Like it was really hard to have conversations for these kind of things, uh, mostly because of the language barrier. And I think during that time, joke uh, politically, there was not some kind of like tensions or like world events for us to really talk about these issues. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I mean, sometimes when I travel to these countries, there are certain things like I wish I discussed more openly uh, after <laughs> hearing about, you know, what, what's happening. And you don't get a lot of time to, to talk to these people if you're on a two week trip. So I feel like slow traveling is the best way like to stay at least in a place for three weeks or longer. If you really want to like, interact with people yes okay yeah. that, that's actually a really good way of putting it you know so three weeks or more if you really want to interact with people where three weeks or less is where you'll really you'll you'll obviously interact with people but not deeply and that's where you can actually that's more of like the vacation where you get to interact with yeah. the architecture and the museums and like that's the standard templated vacation for most americans because we don't get a lot of time off from our I mean, jobs we get three weeks if we're lucky for the entire right year. and so but i love the way like where this three week period so like three weeks allows you to sort of settle in and learn about this city and kind of get the idea and the lay of the land but you do need more than that to build relationships with people and so I, I, I like the way that you put that. That was really interesting. Um, one question that we actually had for you and we talked about briefly before we started the show um, was something that you learned about 
these countries uh, that you've visited that maybe people in the U.S. or more Western nations either should adopt or should take into consideration? Okay, that's actually a really good question. And I think uh, like uh, going back to certain countries, I, I think infrastructure or like, you know, the way the roads are built or the way certain things are done a certain way, like you don't think about these kind of things, right? Unless you see people like in developing nations actually working under the hot sun. So like, for instance, when I was in India and in, in Ladakh, um, I, I think I heard about how uh, you have workers from different, uh, different towns in India, where they usually help in building the infrastructure and the road in Ladakh, which is, which is really, really hard to, to sort of adapt to because of the moonscape environment and how like agriculture, I think there's only four months a year, you're allowed to do some kind of farming activity. Like beyond that, you have to really plan in advance if you want to grow any crops. So, so for me, the fact that you know you live in like uh, in in a place where you have sunshine or you have access to food and everything, it sort of changes the way you appreciate little things in life. Like people have to adapt to certain conditions for 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 some places like in the dark where they they only don't they don't get fresh vegetables every day because there's no trees right it's like the desert so they have very limited window where they really need to be as nutritious as possible and and there are people who are basically building roads and earning i think about ten dollars a day uh where they work like crazy uh, amount of hours basically to build these roads which we take for granted so you don't you don't realize this when you when you go to countries where you see people and talking to them where you interact with them and you and you and they tell you like oh you know it it, it took them like i think seven days to to reach certain regions because of transportation issues or, or like they are not able to get like the proper produce because there's no there's no trees as well and uh, farming is really really difficult for them to cultivate like a certain lifestyle. You take for granted the the supermarkets that we have and the 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 vegetables and the options and everything that we are so used to. So yeah. I think these kind of things sort of like uh, make you realize and. This was just me traveling on on a jeep, but I think it it switches gears the moment you are also cycling, when there's no access to food and you, and I only had like Snicker bars to to really rely on like for for, for like for three three days because there was no access to these villages uh, where I could get like food. So can you imagine for people who have to like you know plan their lifestyle around this? Yeah, yes, well, that, it, that goes back to what we were saying before, the disconnect with community. Well, here we go. We have a disconnect with food. Um, yeah. also, and, and so, and as a, a Westerner, you think that these luxuries make it easier. And it does, right? But does easier then translate to happier and better? In some ways, yes, um, of course it does, but not all the time. And so, we're now disconnected from where our food comes from and how lucky we are to walk into a store and have an abundance of food from literally yeah. all over the world. Yeah. I can I can travel for two minutes in my car, walk into a store and buy a mango. Um, you know, and so the disconnect 
is is massive and then you automatically think because it's easier it's better and that's not always the case wow yeah yeah very insightful yeah i think there's there's been a lot of conversation maybe it's been going on for a while but technology right it people assume that you know when they first came out with the washing machine that it would save people time every weekend and then they would have more free time to do other things and just relax a little bit more, but people didn't relax more. They just figured out how to fill up that extra time with doing more things. And the more free time we have, the more technology that creates, that makes our lives easier, that makes a task easier, just allows us to fill up our lives with more things to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's Parkinson's law. uh, Getting work done just creates more time for more work, I believe. Is like the yeah like, I agree yeah. there's an app for every single thing as well there's a productivity app but like how much more productive can you be right yeah it's <laughs> yeah, a story of my life yeah <laughs> it is that's very true yeah Bob. <laughs> yeah it, it, I mean and ultimately it's it's U.S. not just U.S. Western nations should just adopt uh, a a better sense of appreciation for what we have and through appreciation you'll have the understanding not only um how fortunate you are for being able to have these luxuries but then that other people don't have them and i think by even having that sense of appreciation um it can make you happier mm-hmm. oh, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I agree like you know the water is also scarce in certain regions that we went to so like it was a bit shocking to see like glamping tents uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't stay in some of them, but, you know, you sort of start to wonder, like, how is the plumbing system? Like, where are they disposing it, right? And who are they catering these convenience for? Is it because tourism is demanding, like, proper infrastructure to be built? But do we really need uh, proper infrastructure to erase the culture that they are known for, right? How about trying to learn about their lifestyle, which is maybe farming, which is part of who they are, rather than mm-hmm. trying to, like, make it as clean and sanitized and polished so that you are comfortable in this harsh, harsh environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had, we've experienced something similar in Morocco. Um, yes. Yeah, well, so go I'm, ahead, Elliot. I don't know what you're going to do, but I do want to get into something that we mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast. We're coming full circle now because we haven't talked about it yet. And I want to, A, learn how you came up with the name for your pod or your blog, The Gone Goat. Yeah. So I think it was like a cool moniker uh, that I, so Pashmina basically comes from the mountain goats, uh, the Changtangi goats in um, in Ladakh. <laughs> and I think at that time when I traveled to India, um, uh, it's a sh- it's basically a shawl, a cashmere shawl, right? Oh, okay. so, so, so it comes from the softest part of uh, the mountain goat in this region, which is their chest hair. Mm, all right yeah it's it sounds horrible when you when, when people know the origins about it and why would you call it but i guess because when i went there and everywhere there was pashminas everywhere in like the shops and when i told them that you know that's my name they almost laughed at me <laughs> because because that's their trade and the fact so i thought that was pretty cool because i I, I didn't want to be this pretentious person when I'm starting this blog where, you know, everyone's talking about wanderlust or like, oh my God, I hate that word. But um, I, I I wanted to talk about something that has origins to my name. And I thought it would be pretty cool to just call it the Gone Gold. I like I it a lot. It. Yeah. yeah. And, and the it. backstory makes it better. 
Yes. Yeah. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about the Gone Goat. I, is this what you started on your first trip hiking in the Himalayas? Yeah. So I went for this uh, trek called the Chadar Trek, which is like this minus 30 degrees uh, frozen trek. Uh, basically, I think National Geographic has like covered it. It was overly romanticized uh, because like you have this uh, tribe called Zanskari tribe where they usually have to trek for seven days on this frozen sheet of ice for them to get access to education, supplies and schools. So uh, tour operators were, um, I think, uh, sort of promoting it as a way for you, you know, to experience what these Zanskaris are doing when they travel for seven days. So I thought it was pretty interesting with climate change. Now it's not interesting because, you know, you, uh, that that whole journey was meant to ease, to make it easy for them, right? You, you can't like uh, glorify it and not have the government do anything to ease their worries rather than promote true tourism as opposed to solving their lives. So at that point, because uh, I think Na National Geographic sort of romanticized it, it was something that I really wanted to do to sort of like understand like who are, they, who are these Zanskaris and the fact that, you know, you're camping in this minus 30 degrees. The track was not challenging, but um, it was challenging temperature wise, but it was flat, it was mostly flat. Okay. So, I, yeah, so I think uh, I started with uh, tracking and I wanted to document that on my site. And I think I also did put a disclaimer where, you know, because of climate change, people should not be doing it and should not be like uh, innocent mean that I was at that point of time. I thought that, oh, you know, if National Geographic had covered it, they must have done their research and everything. But sometimes um, it's better to do your own research before yeah. like, yeah. be going for something that was in a documentary. And how has the blog evolved because now it seems to be not just your own adventures but talking to other people about their adventures and how they also got started yeah so i think when um when i started at that point of time i did not really think of monetizing it it was more like a, a very uh, diary form kind of entry like how blogging is right but blogging has changed along this years like you know you don't just call yourself a blog, you also call yourself like a publisher where you know, you're know you also being uh, more conscious about the kind of stories that you're putting out. Uh, because I wasn't being able to travel, uh, I think sometimes the content on my website sort of took a backseat. So I covered more articles about other areas or like uh, I think in inspiring episodes or like adventure books, which I really wanted to read. Um, but I do want to get back to it. I think I it's mainly an outdoor blog so basically I cover uh, cycling hiking and camping and the whole point is to also document other trails which not many people have been or heard to like you know the peak of the Balkans track in in Europe uh, or like you know new tracks in Mongolia yeah <laughs> uh, which I hope which I hope to visit to all these off off the beaten path kind of um places in the world so yeah i really hope to to continue that uh and i really hope that i'm able to do that post pandemic obviously mm -hmm. yeah yeah Love so that, that, that's much what the gone good is and also i i tend to cover a little bit more about the environment uh i i do freelance uh with this other portal as well and 
it would be really nice to really cover like um, any human environment conflict. Like you hear about it in Central Asia. When, when you're traveling on a bicycle, sometimes there's so many stories that you hear of that you really want to know. And like there's the Wakam Valley where, you know, they often face a lot of, uh, I think, human environment conflict with snow leopards. So these are places that I really want to go to and document about them. But yeah, I, I really hope like I could do that in the future. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I love it. Obviously, the, we share a lot of common interests. The, this podcast si- sort of serves at Elliot and I. There are blog where we talk to people like yourself who do these things. Yeah. It's fascinating. And because you can't do it on your own, you can't do it all on your own anyway. It's a great way to to learn and experience through the, the, experience through the experiences of others, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 I agree. So um, yeah, I really hope to continue the written form. I think in this world where a lot of us has very limited attention span, everyone used to think like, oh, YouTube is the best way because you watch documentaries. Mm-hmm. But I think writing and blogging is still not dead. Yeah, <laughs> um, there, there are people like, you know, who prefer written form of entries. I think you, you're able to hear a little bit more about the writer's perspective and fears. Uh, the, the, the same way you can't really communicate them in, in a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. I agree. I fully agree. Yeah. Hashmina, thank you for coming on the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. We're going to now enter the rapid fire round, but very quickly before we do that, can you just tell us your website again, give us your social media handles where people can read about everything that you do? Oh, okay. I didn't know there's a rapid fire round. So. Yeah, we don't make sure we didn't tell you. Yeah, that <laughs> oh was on <my> purpose. <laughs> Okay, yeah, okay. Um, so my handle is begonegood.com and it's actually the same as well on Instagram. And I, I don't have a huge following and uh, I guess I, I'm not after algorithms, like Instagram algorithms, but I think uh, I, I, do, I would usually post things when I think there are, when, when there's a time for it, but not because I have to, to fight with Instagram. I love that. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> that's better almost right because you're doing it for yourself and um i i i view you as a leader in your field and i know you said you didn't really want to be but i think those are the people that make the best leaders you're doing it right you didn't intend to be but i i really i'm looking forward to following you it was awesome to meet you and i have a feeling we're going to have you on again in the future for sure Oh, thank, thank you so much. But yeah, I, I think this session has been really great. And the fact that it's two-way, I mean, I learned a little bit more about how you also had overlapping conversations with other people. So it's good that people are talking about all these things and then just not visiting places because, uh, you know, uh, a so-called publication said that you should check off your bucket list. Right, <laughs> right, right. You ready? You ready for the rapid fire round? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Right. Uh, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Uh, the first word is um, experiences. Solid. What travel book had the biggest influence on your life? Uh, oh my God, so many. Um, <laughs> since it's rapid, I'm going to say like Sovietistan by Erika Fatlin, uh, especially on the Soviet countries and the Central Asian countries. What, what is it called? Soviet land, you said? Sovietistan. Sovietistan. Ah. Okay. Yeah, it's more like a, a travel log. Well, it's a condensed version. Obviously, there's more, I would say, 
I would say like that Silk Road book, uh, but it was really, really thick, but you can't really go through it and, and want to visit the countries. But I think a, a good introduction was actually uh, Sovietist done. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, is this me? Okay. Yes, it is me. Describe your perfect travel experience. My perfect travel experience is uh, usually a suffer fest where I would call it type two, type two adventures where basically the road is uh, washboard roads and it, you're, you're climbing through this crazy mountain at like, I think 13,000 feet and you're gasping for air and it's basically <laughs> at the end of civilization. So I think um, that would probably like be the best I, I don't. I don't know whether I answered your question. Or no, not. you but did. That is, and honestly, the the fact that you said Sufferfest it makes me know. Like now, I know you were the perfect guest for this podcast because yeah. if you said, uh, you know, having a pina colada on the beach. It, oh it, no! I'll be right? so good. Yeah. No, a Sufferfest. No, that is. I we have we have had many guests and many episodes, and that is the first time I have heard anyone say that is the way they want to travel, and that is the first time I've heard anybody describe traveling that way. I love so it. I've it's it. perfect. Yeah, yes. I think most people are waiting to find meaning in their life, but what they're really looking for is to just uh, get into this experience that changes their life. Yeah, and yeah. automatically meaning will sort of just follow because I mean, when your heartbeat is uh, up till your years, you know you're truly alive. Yes, love it. Oh, love that's it. That's amazing. Love it. All yeah. right. You, if you don't know who David Goggins is, you need to follow that guy because that's he's right up your alley. <laughs> All right, number four. Yeah, tell us one thing travelers should not do. Uh, I think travelers should not uh, write off countries easily and give it a second chance. Uh, like you know, if something bad, if something they've read in the in the media, like like about India or whatever, like I think they should just go there and relive it themselves. So like a lot of people talk about safe countries and the first one that comes in is Japan. And people go do it, which is, which is fine, but I think they should challenge their perception about what they know of the news or what they read about and to just do it. Mm-hmm. Awesome advice. Last one. What is one piece of advice you would give to yourself 10 years ago? One piece of advice that I would give to myself, I think I would tell myself to not work so hard and to have belief and faith in your in, in yourself and to also um, decide things spontaneously and not overthink it. Like, I, I think I used to have like this paralysis analysis mm-hmm. and weigh down every single consequences. But the best thing I did was basically be spontaneous and not plan a lot of things. Like, even if your finances are really bad, I, I, I think that you should like time is such a time. Time is such an interesting thing where, you know, you can always go back and earn money, but if you don't have enough time and if you don't seize it while you're healthy or while you can, then you're losing out a lot on a lot of things. Yeah. Beautifully. You cannot earn time. No, no. Once it's gone, it's gone. You can always earn money, but you can't go back in time. (laughs) Love it. Love it. That is solid advice. Thank you so much. to, To add to the spontaneity thing, one thing I just realized is spontaneity creates creativity. That's actually, yeah, that's, that's pretty deep, but you, yeah. you, but you're spot on. Like, yeah, I, I, I think you get a lot of like, um, 
I don't know, like like there's this crazy uh, amount of like neurons like sparking in your yeah. in your brain where you know sort of like realize that oh my god I could do this I could do that and that only happens when you meet strangers I think on your trip, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, wow. all right, love it. We need to have like a philosophical travel conversation. <laughs> That's minute. every episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, you're now uh, solidified as a lifelong friend of the podcast. And we're looking forward to talking with you again, hopefully meeting you. And, and yeah, uh, if you we'll come to Asia as well, do come to Malaysia. I mean, if you don't mind coming to a place where you can sweat 24 hours. <laughs> your suffer fest i want to suffer i I can't wait to suffer with you i've been i've been to florida in july yeah right (laughs) right, (laughs) thank you so much okay thank you so much bob and elliot it was nice being here i truly enjoyed it it's raining outside right now and i think i'm going to go watch walter mitty yeah that's a good choice yeah Yeah. I, i love this conversation so so much yes I, I love her philosophy. I, it's something that we've discussed multiple times where you have to get uncomfortable and you have to expand and you need to put yourself in situations that, yeah, are, are somewhat difficult because that's how you grow. And this is sort of the foundation for her blog, for her reason for traveling. It's such an attractive uh, philosophy. And I love this conversation with her. Yeah. And I love, again, I, I, I'm going to say it again, the uh, um, Sufferfest. Yes, suffer fest. Love it's that. great. You know, if you're not suffering at least a few you're times not a week, you're not growing. You heard it here. And probably yeah, yeah. on some sort of uh, uh, personal Self. growth blog. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening to the show. If you are listening to this right now, you can simply rate us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And it significantly helps the growth and it helps us get better guests. You can share this or comment or like, and that helps the social media algorithm. Um, the machine. Uh, push our the machine push our show to more people which also helps us grow and if you want to support us in a financial way you can donate as little as one dollar by buying us a coffee through the link on our instagram or at in the show notes of this episode and so uh that's it thank you for listening to the show stay healthy stay safe and tune in next week